Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and today we're going to be talking about the Dharmic pathways in Western literature. Eastern literature has gotten a lot more buzz over the years, but this is a really wonderful opportunity for us to dive more deeply into some Western literature, and I'm delighted to be joined by award-winning author Dean Slider. Dean is the author of several books, including the book we'll be talking about today, The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature, which just came out, I believe, a few days ago. Uh, Dean has taught natural approaches to meditation and awakening since 1970. Dean gives talks, workshops, and retreats throughout the United States and beyond. His media appearances have included National Public Radio, The New York Times, Coast to Coast AM, The Dr. Oz Show, and oh, The Oprah Magazine. A grateful student of Eastern and Western sages in several traditions, Dean has completed numerous pilgrimage and retreats in India, Tibet, Nepal, and in the West. He is known for conveying authentic teachings in forms that are relaxed, accessible, and down-to-earth. You can find out more about Dean Slider at his website, deanslider.com, and Slider is S-L-U-Y-T-E-R, S-L-U-Y-T-E-R, deanslider.com. Welcome, Dean Slider. I'm really glad you could uh, come back on the show and join me again on the Yoga Hour. Thanks so much, Laurel. It's great to be back. I did want to mention that there are a couple of previous programs with Dean that are in our archive, and you can get them by just uh, putting his name in your, wherever you get your podcast, just put it in the search engine. You'll find some prior shows uh, with Dean about some of his other beautiful books that we've talked about in the past. Before we begin our dialogue about finding inspiration and spiritual insight anywhere, at any time, in any situation, let's begin with a yoga moment, a moment of present awareness. Om. So let's begin by bringing our attention to our bodies in space. Whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting, standing, walking, driving, just feeling our bodies in space. And feeling all the surfaces that support our weight. Where are our feet? 
what part of our weight is supported in the chair. And then just bringing our attention to our breath and just noticing the next fully conscious breath as we inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, feeling the warm air flowing out. And as we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate from Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien's book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. What we need may come to us in many different ways. It may come as an insight, an awareness that allows us to know what to do. Or it may be something we read or hear someone say. It could be a material gift that is given or an opportunity that arises. The ways are infinite. Life continually supports the thriving, prospering, and fulfillment of its purposes. When we align our goals to serving the whole, we open the floodgates of grace-filled support. When we align our goals to serving the whole, we open the floodgates of grace-filled support. Once again, Dean Slider, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. As I mentioned earlier, I'm really delighted to have you back on the show and to discuss your new book with you, The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature, Finding Nirvana in the Classics. I really enjoyed how you found dharmic pathways in the writings of so many Western authors. A number of of the uh, books that you write about are a bit outside the classics, including Mr. Rogers. You include uh, Cat in the Hat, Huckleberry Finn, although for many people, Huckleberry Finn is a classic. So what motivated you to write this particular book at this time? What What do you hope people learn from the book? Well, what motivated me, um, really, I didn't have a lot of choice. Uh, I was brimming over with this book. Uh, It had been brewing for over 40 years. Uh, I spent uh, 33 years teaching English and a course called Literature of Enlightenment at a very fancy prep school in New Jersey. Uh, where I I was teaching the governor's kids and the Johnson and Johnson kids and the SI Newhouse kids. And and, uh, I was sort of the the subversive yogi on the campus, uh, (laughs) which was really fun to do. And by the way, I continue to have some wonderful friendships with some of these kids who are now grown up movers and Mm -hmm. shakers. Wow. Uh, There's a footnote. I don't know if you got to this, but in my chapter on waiting for Gado, there's a footnote. Uh, where I tell the story about sitting in the studio audience in Jeopardy, where uh, a former student of mine, Buzzy Cohen, was in the Tournament of Champions, about to be eliminated in the semifinals, and he was saved because the the question was about waiting for Gado, which he had read in my classroom. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is the kind of moment that a teacher dreams of. You exactly. Know? Wow. That must have been kind of a high. You're like, wow. Oh, my God. It was, it was great. And then the next day when he came back and Alex, you know, would chat with each guy, they talked about me. He talked about how happy I was. They put me on camera and Alex did a little <laughs> prompt to me. It was, it was lovely. Oh yes. Um, but so... Look, for if when 33 years you come back to the classroom every year, you teach Huck Finn, you come back every year, you teach the great Gatsby, come back every year, you teach Macbeth, you keep getting deeper and deeper into them, hopefully. Um, and meanwhile, I'm doing my own meditative practice and getting deeper and deeper into my own experience and insight. And I found myself connecting the dots and starting to ask myself, is am I the only one who's seeing this stuff? Mm. So, for example, in in Huckleberry Finn, there's a wonderful scene. The first time uh, Huck run, well, first he has to run away from the widow Douglas, who is uh, this uh, very genteel Christian lady who's trying to civilize him. He always spells civilize with an S, so so you know he'll never be civilized. <laughs> and um, and then he's he's kidnapped away by his drunken, violent, awful father, Pap Finn, uh, who takes him. The, the geography is interesting. He takes him to the other uh, little cabin on the other bank of the Mississippi. So it's like one bank is you know, living too tight. The other bank is living too loose. Mm -hmm. And he has to escape into the river, which is right. The the, the golden middle way going mm -hmm. middle. And, and he runs away, he gets into a salvaged canoe, and um, I'll read this passage here because it's so yeah, delicious. Sure. And because I always tell, when people ask me, I sometimes speak at writers' conferences, and they ask, how do you learn to write beautiful sentences? I say, read Mark Twain, preferably out loud. Mm. So I didn't lose no time. The next minute I was a spinning downstream, soft but quick in the shade of the bank. I got out amongst the driftwood and then laid down in the bottom of the canoe and let her float. I laid there and had a good rest and a smoke out of my pipe, looking away into the sky, not a cloud in it. The sky looks ever so deep when you lay down on your back in the moonshine. I never knowed it before. Right. Mm -hmm. So then my commentary say this is about as clear a baptism in the transcendent as anyone has ever written. After the hectic scramble to get clear of Pap, Huck lets go, lying on his back in a posture of utter passivity. He gives up rowing and steering, allows the boat to merge anonymously with the mass of drifting timbers and basks in the moonlight. This is how to meditate. Let her float. And the result is a vision of unobstructed boundlessness. The sky looks ever so deep. In fact, a favorite method in Tibetan Buddhist practice is called Namkai Naljor, sky gazing meditation, literally gazing open eyed into the ever so deep sky and losing yourself in it. Yeah, that's great. 
um, it really also gives a flavor for listeners of, uh, you know, all many of the just wonderful things you discover from from reading the book. So it's great. Thanks for thanks for that. So that's why I wrote the book. I kept discovering things like that. I, I better write this stuff down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the introduction where you were talking about your first experience with Western with some some. I don't know if you'd want to call Mad Magazine Western literature, but yeah, that was, that was, you talked about your first your first guru, uh, which yes. was a, was a great story. So would you share that? Would you share that little experience Ab- with our ab- listeners? Absolutely. So it was 1961. I was 11 or 12 years old, um, and um, we were going to be going out to a, a drive-in movie that night. <laughs> it being 1961. Uh, and so my mom sent me out to the garage to the our Nash Rambler station wagon, it, it being 1961. And uh, she sent me out to clear away all the junk, all the toys and comic books that my two brothers and I had, had left there. So I go out there and my mind is you as usual, even at that young age, was just churning, just blah, blah, blah. And just with this kind of, you know, low level, constant anxiety, which I didn't recognize because it was pretty constant even at at that point. So I'm picking up the comic books. The next thing I pick up is Mad Magazine. And on the cover, as usual, is their grinning idiot mascot, Alfred E. Newman, with the, you know, the gap teeth and the crooked ears and the the cock eyes. And as usual, there's his motto, what me worry? And my mind stopped. Suddenly, I I recognized that, oh, this churning thing, this is called worry, and it's not just happening to me. I'm doing it. It's as if the, the engine of my mind has been just revving, revving, revving all this time, and I realized, oh, it's because my foot was on the gas pedal. And now, I, having noticed that, I could take my foot off the gas pedal, and my mind went just into delicious boundless nirvanic silence and the whole rest of the evening through the whole movie was this dumb Troy Donahue film and all into the night just floating in in bliss and so so this is what is called in the um you know in the yogic world uh um uh, uh, um, uh this is this is uh um, the, the phrase just escaped me, Mahavakya, there we go, mm-hmm. right? Great utterance. Only you in the yogic tradition, of course, the, the great utterance, the, the potent phrase that helps trigger the student's uh, um, uh, sinking into samadhi, usually it's, it's aham brahmasmi, right? I am the Brahman, I am the infinite, or tatvamasi, thou art that. In my case, it was what me worry. <laughs> But, great. but it's great because what that what that it oriented me, I guess, from the beginning toward finding these things, finding the infinite in unexpected places, not necessarily the official, you know, the kosher places. And and it made it very clear to me as I went on and later, you know, started by the before I was out of high school, I was reading the Bhagavad Gita and I was reading the Upanishads and and discovering, oh, this thing that happened to me was not just some weird freaky thing. This is this has been 
it's got names and it's been around and there's systematic procedures for experiencing it and integrating it into your life. But I knew already, I sort of pre-knew, no one has a monopoly on this. It's the most natural thing in the world. Mm -hmm. I have an uh, uh, e-version of the book, and so it's hard for me to go back to the page that I want right now. But at the very beginning of the book, you have a quote, um, and I'm forgetting who it's from, but it's about the many keys. There are many keys and oh, only yeah. one only one door. Yes, it's it's from Jack Kerouac and it's from yeah. the Dharma Bums, which I, I have to tip my hat to Jack Kerouac because I stole the first three words of my title from from him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yes, he said there there's there's lots of keys, but only one door. Right. That's right. the after the book. And I, I just love that so much. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um you say something about that in the introduction, something about, uh, you know, of course, because, you know, we're talking about omnipresence, we're talking about infinity, of mm -hmm. course, it would be everywhere, you know, yeah. but, uh, but it, 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 ain't, it ain't the infinite and, 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 can't, <laughs> and there can't be two of them, right? That, that would mean there's got one of them's got to leave off where the other one begins. So, right. so there's only one door. Right. But because it's everywhere, there's lots of keys. There's the infinite number of keys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and this is this is actually getting back to a question you asked a few minutes ago. What do I want readers to get from this? What I want them to get is that, okay, you know, my specialty is literature, so I find the the infinite everywhere in literature. Mm -hmm. Your specialty may be gardening, your specialty may be playing the drums, your specialty may be raising children, whatever it is, you can find nirvana lurking uh, mm -hmm. everywhere in in that. It, everything is a Dharma gate. Uh, if you just, there is a way to approach whatever you are doing to use it as a Dharma gate. Mm -hmm. And by Dharma, just talking about the um, the path, right? The the um, uh, and and a gate meaning just like an opening to the light. I loved how you you know talk about that in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, and I've been so lucky because I've had wonderful teachers, and as you mentioned in 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 the, my bio in the introduction, teachers in a number of different traditions. Uh, you know, in the Indian yoga traditions, in the Tibetan traditions. Um, uh, largely and and you know wonderful Western teachers and um, so so you know just my my nature I mean that the way some people would phrase it is well Dean you're a double Gemini so, <laughs> you know so so the nature of my mind is to uh, pick up okay this you know, just I just love connecting dots between things that look like they would not have connections yeah. No, me too. Me too. That's what's very fun about about the book. You have quotes, of course, from so many people uh, in the book that we could talk about. I've already mentioned to you, we could have had so many different conversations. One of them that I enjoyed was Emily Dickinson's you know, quote, if I feel physically as if the top of my head were taken off, I know that is poetry. And I yep. certainly have had that experience in, re in reading poems. And then you also quote uh, the Psalms uh, 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. 
If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Even the darkness will not be dark with you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So beautiful. Just so, so beautiful. Um, and moving on, one of the things that I was del- delighted that you put in was uh, Dr. Seuss and the cat in the hat. <laughs> and that chapter is is titled Have No Fear. So um, let's just start there. What, why did you want to include uh, Dr. Seuss? Well, I wanted to include Dr. Seuss because... Um, uh, he was really there at the beginning of my love affair with books. And, and mm. I imagine that's true for a lot of people. I happen to be exactly of the generation that we started our reading lessons in school with the, the Dick and Jane series. Which was <laughs> deadly, just awful. And, and I talk about this in the chapter. Dick and Jane and baby Sally and their dog Spot and their cat tough their you know their big adventure is setting the table for dinner and here's a place for mother and here's a place for fun and they're just so boring and they're so good you, you just want to wring their neck <laughs> i loved reading that by the way i just yeah. was reminding me because i'd kind of forgotten a bit about setting the table that right. was great. <laughs> oh, just awful and then and then in 1957 i had just finished first grade and along comes the cat in the hat which happened because uh, a publishing executive challenged Dr. Seuss to write a book using only the educator-approved list of 225 beginner's words. Mm. And um, he was ready to give up. He sat down. He wanted to write a book about a queen zebra, but queen wasn't on the list and zebra wasn't on the list. And he was getting more and more frustrated and finally, he had a what the hell moment. He was ready to give up. And he said, okay, what the hell? The first two words I find on the list alphabetically that rhyme, I'll make those the title of my book. And those two words were cat and hat. Unbelievable. I, I didn't know that history of the book. So that's so fun. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I love this kind of historical background stuff. You know, when I talk about William Blake, everyone loves, you know, the, the brilliant poetic spiritual insight of William Blake. But I also talk about there's a theory that he was suffering from a condition called ergotoxicosis, which mm. comes from eating uh, the grain rye infested with purple ergot fungus, which is the precursor to LSD. So there's a possibility that he was he was <laughs> tripping with the aid of some substances there. So oh. yes, Dr. Seuss, uh, the, the cat in the hat is the spirit of freedom. He's mm-hmm. he, he is he is what in the in the yogic vocabulary we call moksha, liberation. Um, the kid, when he first comes in, the two kids, right, Sally and I, the, the narrator refers to them as um they're they're first of all they've been left home alone these days if your mom left you home alone like that you know they'd be calling uh, uh family services scuttling you away but back in those days we were left home alone all the time yeah me too and, uh, i can testify to that uh my brothers and i we just took care of ourselves Right. And so they and but they're bummed out because it's raining and they can't go outside and play. So they have to sit, 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 which, of course, that's what we do 
we in meditation, we sit, 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 sit. And sometimes we feel that it's getting boring. And then sometimes liberation happens in the middle of sitting. In this case, that liberation is embodied in the person of the cat in the hat. Mm. And, and, and one of the things that I realized that when the cat in the hat comes uninvited, just, just whooshing through the door, and and with his, his you know kind of lanky body and and he's you know this kind of strange self confidence because he's a complete doofus he keeps wrecking things <laughs> and I realized oh my God that's Kramer in Seinfeld yeah and 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 the and the boy and the girl are are uh, Jerry and Elaine and Elaine <laughs> and the, yeah I like that and the, and and the and the party pooper. The fish, this little goldfish in the pot that keeps saying, no, no, that that's George. George. That's George <laughs> kind of a, this universal archetype. Right. Yeah. And you talk, you do a big riff on thing one and thing two. Yeah. Thing one and thing two. Well, those are the, the pairs of opposites. You know, we're, right. we, we, we read about the pairs of opposites in the Bhagavad Gita. You know, one to me are, are fame and shame, uh, uh, pleasure and pain, loss and gain. Uh, so thing one and thing two, the twin manic gender indeterminate species indeterminate <laughs> troublemakers <laughs> that the cat sets loose to wreck the house. And finally, the narrator ca- captures them. He gets a, he plops a big net over them. And mm-hmm. it's the illustration the, the is the iconography of, of Dr. Seuss's illustrations. I have a lot of fun with that. At the moment that he plops the net over them, the thing one and thing two appear to be merged into one thing. He has resolved the opposites. It's a lot of fun being in this head. <laughs> No, abs- absolutely. And a lot of fun to to see those things. Um, you have a couple of quotes from the book, and, and I, I do just like this one. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. <laughs> so great. <laughs> yep. And with that, I think we've come to the to the break. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with award-winning author and teacher, Dean Slider, and we're discussing Dean's book, new book, The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature, Finding Nirvana in the Classics. In addition to writing and teaching, Dean narrates audiobooks, co-hosts the Philosophers movie podcast, sings with the Threshold Choir, and happily zips through the streets of Santa Monica on his Vespa. That sounds like fun. <laughs> you can find more about Dean Slider at his website, deanslider.com. And again, Slider is S-L-U-Y-T-E-R, S-L-U-Y-T-E-R.com. We will also be posting the link to Dean's website on our website, theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via our website at theyogahour.com. You can also sign up for our mailing list. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about how the literature we love can convey the awakening that we seek. We'll be right back. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. 
Welcome back to the Yoga Hour, insights and practices for spiritually conscious living. Welcome back. Today, Dean Slider is joining me to talk about how inspiration and spiritual insight can be found anywhere, at any time, in any situation. And we're focusing on his new book, The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature, Finding Nirvana in the Classics. So on the break, Dean, you and I were chatting briefly, and we were talking about fun and um, and how sometimes um, being on the spiritual path can seem very heavy, um, and there can be a tendency to, for it to get kind of dry. And you had a great, great quote, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I say uh, near the end of, of the introduction of my book, it's, it's, if it's not fun, what's the point? Mm. <laughs> that's sort of my approach to everything. Um, and I mean, that's just me. But for 33 years, you know, teaching high school students, teaching Macbeth, teaching Chaucer, uh, you have to find a way to make it fun or you, you lose the room. And then what I would do actually one night a week, I would uh, drive east on, on I-78 into Newark, uh, where I was uh, my official position there. Uh, was uh, the 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 Buddhist chaplain, and I, a, a group that I worked with, uh, the Buddhist studies group, and uh, you, you wanted to keep those guys laughing as well. Uh, so, but but it's true, people on the spiritual path can start to take things so seriously, and it can become so dry. But no, the 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 whole reason that we we're on this path is that it's it's juicy. I mean, I mean, it's beyond juicy. The infinite mm-hmm. is the juice. It's, mm-hmm. it, come on, people. This is the juice of life. Enjoy it. <laughs> I love that quote. God is not just juicy. God is the juice. Yes. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> So turning to another of the authors that you talk about and someone that I had not read, you have a chapter on Frederick Douglass and his book, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, written by himself. And it gives really deep and heart-wrenching information about his life as a slave in bondage and then his subsequent uh, liberation. And throughout his book, he shares the intensity of their suffering and the the apparent inescapability of being a slave for life. Buddhist and Hindu literature is full of discussions of of suffering, and the word for that is dukkha. How do you describe dukkha? Well, the the derivation of the word is is really interesting. It comes from roots that literally mean axle hole, Axle hole, and this goes back to the early days of the the Indo-European civilizations when people started to travel longer distances in 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 carts and wagons and chariots, and if your axle was not quite the right size for the hole that it was in, every time that wheel would turn, you get a little bump or a big bump. And you could be in the most beautiful, most luxurious chariot in the world. And if the axle hole wasn't a good fit, you, you get a bump every time. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a wonderful metaphor for the way that dukkha or suffering can crop up in our life. You know, we may not be physically slaves. We may be, you know, 
as long as our luck holds out, no one is bombing our country. We have enough food to eat. We've got money in the bank. And still there's a feeling of, uh, you know, that feeling of, of unsatisfactoriness. Right. Um, and, 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 and that's, that's dukkha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so when we were, uh, when you were writing about Frederick Douglass and his slave narrative, obviously, and his subsequent liberation uh, from slavery, which is what is talked about in the book, um, the the association with suffering is so is so obvious. And not that I'm equating the two, but there is that kind of suffering that you're talking about. I think we all have had that, you know, that, um, you know, that that longing for liber that longing for liberation. And so that was a uh, obvious theme that you really bring out in your writing about him. He, at age um, 16, Frederick Douglass won a physical confrontation with his master that sent him on the road to liberation, to his freedom. And afterwards, he said, I felt as I never felt before. It was a glorious resurrection from the tomb of slavery to the heaven of freedom. My long crushed spirit rose bold defiance took its place. And I now resolved that however long I might remain in a slave form, that day had passed forever when I could be a slave in fact. Right. Yes, he was a slave, still a slave in form, but but no longer a slave in fact. And, and it's such a beautiful parallel, again, to for, for those of us on the, the spiritual path. You know, once you the, the Dalai Lama once said, um, once you've made up your mind absolutely to stay on the path until liberation, it's I'm paraphrasing now. It's a done deal. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's it's it, it's inevitable. And it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of how much time it's going to take. And and he said, and if you're you're doing all that time you're 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 acting with kindness and um then then the, the he says even if it takes 10,000 lifetimes it doesn't matter the 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 outcome is assured uh but it was on the other hand he says if if you, that's not what you're doing he says if you're just then you're just wasting your time and even one lifetime is too many mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but back to fred douglas um the he makes it clear that the what made the difference for him was learning to read mm-hmm. and in the slave states it was illegal to teach a slave to read it was very important to keep them ignorant about the world so so actually the the their you know so-called owners so-called masters could tell them oh you don't want to go to the north the queen of america there hates blacks and and has them killed on sight and and if you couldn't read you had no way of of knowing that that was not the case so by learning to read he the main thing that he really came to understand was that he had been given a wrong concept an erroneous concept of of his own being of what he was mm-hmm. he had come to under to think i am a slave a slave just as you know fire is hot and water wets a slave 
is an object that that exists to be a beast of burden to to work for others. Uh, what he learned by reading was, no, I am a person. Mm. I am a person. I am a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a person who has temporarily and illegitimately been enslaved. I've had this temporary external foreign condition imposed upon my essential personhood. Mm-hmm. So that was his liberation. Now, the liberation that we on the Dharma path, on the yogic path, are moving toward, it picks up from there. And that says, being a person mm-hmm. is not our ultimate identity. That, that, that just as he realized he was a person who had been enslaved, we are boundless beingness. We are mm-hmm. infinite awareness that has been temporarily, and we could even say illegitimately, and mm-hmm. Again, on the break, you and I had a chance to chat for just a, a few minutes about um, about um, prisoners, and you had mentioned that you know you have worked with uh, people in prison, and again, it's this idea of liberation obviously has such a resonance if you are literally imprisoned. And we can also see that same resonance in a, you know, in a different form in our own life as we are on the spiritual path. Um, I I love working with prisoners. Um, You know, the Buddha said, do your practice as if your hair is on fire. Right. And and these guys, their hair is on fire. Mm -hmm. They understand the urgency of the matter. This is not just, oh, I, you know. I guess I'll take the meditation workshop this week and I'll take the, I don't know, the macrame workshop next week. And, you know, <laughs> uh, they, they, they understand that this is more a matter of, of more than life and death. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just great. Deal. Now, since COVID, I have not been able to go in prison, but uh, the, the institution has very kindly made it possible for me to send video messages to, to the guys there. Mm. And you mentioned that you had worked with them for years now, I, I believe. Yeah, I started there in, in 2005. It took me, uh, I think, five months of, of repeatedly filling in the same papers, same applications to, to finally, you know, they, they everyone knows it's hard to get out of prison. It's hard to get into prison. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Coming back to... Finding Nirvana in the classics, it's it's hard to talk about the topic without also including, especially on a show like the Yoga Hour, talks yes. about the yoga heritage, without looking at the, the influence of the transcendentalists of the early 1800s, particularly Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau. Mm-hmm. Would you set the scene for us of the environment that brought out transcendentalism? Yes, that that scene is very close to my heart because um, I really discovered Emerson and, and Thoreau uh, in my own life in the 1960s. And the, the era of their prime, which was the 1840s, was very, very much like the 1960s. Mm. Um, just as we had the, the, the Vietnam War had divided kind of the more conservative mainstream um, uh, of, of Americans around kind of a rally, jingoistic rally around the flag. And then you had the smaller, mostly younger, more uh, better educated um, 
uh, uh, counterculture opposing the war. They had the Mexican-American War, mm. which is almost exactly parallel situation. Um, I mean, you know, that was just totally a just a land grab. Mexico had land. We wanted it. We, we took it. Mm. Um, the um, you had intentional communities, utopian communes, uh, which in, in my days in the 1960s, I dropped out of college. I was hitchhiking around the country thinking of myself as a kind of a traveling holy man. And I dropped in on a number of these these communes. The 1840s, it was that it was the same thing. You had you had fruitlands, you had the Oneida communities. Most of them failed spectacularly pretty quickly. Uh, but you had people making that effort. Let's renew our life. You had even we had the dance crazes in the 1960s. You know, you had Jackie Kennedy hosting twist parties in the White House. In the 1840s, they had polka mania. Literally, and they called it that. Polka mania sweeping Europe and the United States. And that sounds cool to us now, but compared with the, you know, what was going on before, the minuet, the polka was this wild, energetic way to shake your booty and, and, and to really shake free from the more plodding, conservative ways of, of your parents and your grandparents. Mm. And the other thing you had was the influx of wisdom from the East. In the 1960s, the United States relaxed the immigration laws, which allowed for the first time a significant influx of, of teachers. Uh, so you, you had um, you, you had um, uh, uh, Suzuki Roshi starting the first uh, uh, permanent Zen center in San Francisco. You had Bhakti Vedanta Swami bringing the the practice of of chanting Hare Krishna. Um, I, I used to in my hippie days. I, I used to in the mornings go for the morning chanting and the free breakfast at the the storefront Krishna Temple on Frederick Street in San Francisco. They kept me alive for several months there. Um, and uh, in in the 1840s, you did not have the teachers, but you had the teachings because of the the incursions of the Europeans into India and the other Asian countries, you know, first the soldiers go in, then come the scholars and the missionaries. They started doing uh, the the first translations. Right. So, so among the very first people, the ver among the very first people to read the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads and, and the laws of Manu and so forth uh, in translated into Western languages was Ralph Waldo Emerson. So he moved from, after his first wife died, he moved from Boston to uh, Concord right. with his big personal library. And there he became the mentor to the younger Henry David Thoreau, who started reading those books and essentially went, oh, that's what I wanted. He he did the same thing that I was going to do 120 years later, say, this is what I want to do with my life. And he actually wrote, I, I mentioned in the book, he wrote in a letter to a friend that, you know, sometimes I, even I, am, am, am a yogi. And he right. was really the first American who could legitimately make that claim, who was was setting forth that, that his two years living in his cabin in Walden, it was not just about, um, uh, you know, seeing how, whether he could live without money. He right. was there 
practicing meditation. He was, and he gives beautiful descriptions of sitting in the doorway of his cabin all through the morning and as the, the, the breeze and the birds sweep through his house and, and suddenly being, you know, hearing the sound of a passing wagon and realizing that it was noon. Mm-hmm. I actually have that, uh, that section that you wrote. I was going to read it. Um, you write, in Emerson's library, Thoreau found, and I guess it's Thoreau. Thoreau, yes. In Emerson's library, Thoreau found texts like the Bhagavad Gita, which describes the one all-pervasive beingness, or Brahman, and the various yogas, the paths for opening to Brahman. As an aside, you write, this was a century before the word yoga was demoted to mean mere physical postures. (laughs) I appreciated that. (laughs) Demoted. I should have said degraded. (laughs) Yeah. And continuing on, in 1849, Thoreau wrote to a friend, I would fain practice the yoga faithfully to some extent and at rare intervals, even I am a yogi. He was the first American who could legitimately make that claim. So I really loved that passage. So I wanted and, to read the, the original. Notice the beautiful modesty with mm. which he sets that forth. And I think that's something that we, we can learn from. You know, it's sometimes uh, on, on the path we, 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 we get, uh, it, it's, it's too easy to fall into the trap of, of you know, getting show-offy, and believe me, I know this from long, hard personal experience, you know, showing off, uh, oh, man, I'm good at these awesomeness. <laughs> right. You know, and, uh, and then, you know, <laughs> I, I used to be really good at awesomeness when I was younger and I and I would started showing off and then I would, you know, sp- sprain my back. To- <laughs> Get too hard at the cobra pose or something. Classic. <laughs> and and it's like, oh, okay. Guess, yeah. guess what? Uh, when 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 the ego takes right. charge of your spiritual life, yeah. look out. Watch out. Yeah. You also shared Emerson's uh, quote, famous description of all out samadhi, where identification of the ego dissolves and we abide in pure awareness. And this is from Emerson. Standing on the bare ground, my head bathed by the blithe air and uplifted into infinite space, all mean egotism vanishes. I become a transparent eyeball. I am nothing. I see all. The currents of the universal being circulate through me. I am part or particle of God. So beautiful. Just so beautiful. Would you share more about uh, Emerson? Uh, We have just a couple of minutes left before I want to save the last little bit at the end to ask you something else. But uh, in a couple of minutes, what about Emerson? Oh, you know, Emerson is the indispensable man in the whole history of of the the um, uh, the, the the influx of the the historically Eastern teachings to to the West. A, a whole group of um, uh, forward looking people, let's say, um, 
you know, he he had been a Unitarian minister. He he was, I think, the eighth generation in his family of Unitarian ministers, and and the, the Unitarian Church in those days was not nearly as as theologically loosey goosey as it is now. Right. Uh, and he only lasted for I think three years as a minister, and then he he just couldn't do it anymore. Um, but he became a superstar on what was known as the Lyceum circuit, which was the 19th century equivalent of TED Talks. And, <laughs> and, and it was literally a circuit where you would, there, there was a, you know, in each town, there would be at the town hall or there would be some venue where speakers would move around and um, and talk about new ideas in everything. And not only in, in philosophy and religion, but in, in every conceivable topic. But Emerson was the star. And then, of course, coalesced around him what we call the, the Transcendental Club, which was a forum of people that floated from from house to house, just debating these these topics, and and he was was the he just nurtured these people. He just encouraged them, and uh, and through he was the key guy. Through him, the ideas, the transcendental orientation, just came into the mainstream of American life. He was known as the sage of Concord, just universally respected. Mm. So neat to think about that, how the these texts from the East, which were so ancient, but just coming into this country for the for the very, very first time. And with that, we just have a couple minutes. I wanted to ask you in closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to share with our listeners? Yes, the infinite is not far away. It's not weird. It's not exotic. It's not Eastern or Western. Uh, the infinite is your very being. It is closer than close. You can't miss it. <laughs> the only way, the only because you are it. And and it's not a matter of like moving forward to attain something. It's just falling back into what you've been all along. The, everyone has says I. This every time you say I, what does I refer to? It refers to the awareness that's aware of all your experiences, and that awareness. Where are the edges of it? There are no edges. Fall back into that, and then you can't miss it. And then you start to find it in literature or wherever you look. You can't. Mm -hmm. mm. So beautiful. Such a beautiful. Um an inspiring and encouraging uh, thought to thought to share that you can't miss it, that it's not very far away. And um, that is truly lovely. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host and host of the Yoga Hour. We've been discussing with Dean Slider his recently released book, The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature, Finding Nirvana in the Classics. You can check out Dean's website, deanslider.com. Again, Slider is S-L-U-Y-T-E-R, S-L-U-Y-T-E-R, so deanslider.com. This program will be posted on our website, theyogahour.com, and his uh, Dean's a link to Dean's website will be there as well. Thank you so much for this delightful conversation and for your delightful book, Dean. Thank you, Laurel. Mm -hmm.
For listeners, we hope you'll join us for the many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Currently, we have daily online meditation in the morning from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m., in the afternoon from 4 to 4.30 p.m., and on Monday evenings at 7.30. We also offer Sunday satsang at 10 a.m. each week. All these times are Pacific time, by the way. Yogacharya O'Brien is in the middle of a five, um, five uh, lecture series calling it a lecture is not quite right, five satsang series on the five elements entitled Fire, Live with the Soul Fire of Clarity and Determination. You can listen to the previous two satsangs of the series on the elements earth and water by going to her website, ellengraceobrien.com. I am excited to be offering an online program, Intro to Ayurveda, Balancing the Elements, That will be on Thursday, April 7th, 2022, from 6.30 to 8 p.m., and it will be online. You can join me. You can get more information and register at csecenter.org. You can learn more about these and many other online programs at csecenter.org or ellengraceobrien.com. Join me next time on the Yoga Hour when Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, the founder of the Yoga Hour, she's a spiritual teacher, writer, poet, and also the spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, she will join me to discuss yoga, consciousness, and climate change. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living here and now. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at Unity Online Radio. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 